Let's pray as we begin today's message. Heavenly Father, we just humbly ask that you would open our heart to your word and that you would open your word to our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. From applause to sacrifice. If you're unfamiliar with what it means to be a Christian and, and what it means to live a, a, a Jesus-centered life, we're glad you're here. We're really, really glad you're here. It's courageous of you. Way to go. Um, much of what we prepared today and much of what we prepare from week to week in our gathering here Sunday morning is done with you in mind, actually, to hopefully help bring some clarity about who Jesus is, because we'd love for you, we'd love for you to meet Him personally. That's very possible, very possible. On the Christian calendar, and we heard Carissa at the beginning of our worship time in singing explain this a little bit, today is Palm Sunday, a week before Easter, which is when we celebrate the fact that, the historical fact that Jesus rose from the dead by God's power. And if you're not a Christ follower, I invite you and I, I encourage you strongly to, to come back next Sunday to hear about that, um, that historical event of the resurrection of Jesus, how it reshaped and has reshaped our eternity for those who choose to trust God with their lives. So, Palm Sunday is the day when Jesus came into the ancient city of Jerusalem knowing that He would be crucified brutally on a cross. The modern-day method of capital punishment. He knew that that awaited Him, and yet He still came to be, to be God's plan of salvation for us. The name Palm Sunday comes uh, specifically from the Gospel of John, which is, gospel just means good news. And there's four books like that at the very beginning of the New Testament, which is uh, the, well, newer part of the Bible. And it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, written after, or named after those who wrote those particular books, historical records. And in John's historical record, we see people uh, taking palm branches to wave in honor of Jesus as King, as sometimes we've had the kids do in church here and, and other, other uh, churches around the world, Christians around the world, uh, do so on a day like today. But imagine being in the crowd that, that welcomed Jesus as He approached Jerusalem that day so many, so many uh, years ago, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. I suppose a first century Facebook post could have read this way. I'm an average citizen of Jerusalem. Lived here all my life. I, I go to work every day at the, car, uh, the donkey wash I own. I have six employees. I work hard. I pay my taxes. I get along with people in the city, most of them anyway. My kids love the neighborhood in which we live. My wife and I and all our neighbors had heard about this rabbi named Jesus who claimed to be the Son of God. 
Years ago, we remember hearing about uh, when his family left our city uh, on a trip, and it was after a full day's journey, so we heard, that they realized that Jesus was not among the traveling group. Uh, he was back. They had forgotten him. He was back at the temple in discussion with the religious leaders as a 12-year-old kid. Huh. Years after that, we began to hear reliable reports about the many incredible things he did, like healing people and, and feeding thousands of people with a little boy's uh, a small lunch, but even more. We heard about how he showed love and compassion to people wherever he went, even to those who most of us would call undesirable. He seemed to genuinely love them. We knew that he had been to Jerusalem on a few occasions, but, but this time was different somehow. There had been an increasing stir of opposition among the religious leaders against this self-professed Messiah or Savior. Yet the day he rode into town on a donkey, actually it was a young colt of a donkey, not sure how he didn't get bucked off. Anyway, that day, a week before his, he was crucified, he rode in, I remember it, to a hero's welcome. Hmm. But how quickly things can change for a guy. Anyway, after his miraculous resurrection, some of us came to know him for who he is. A loving God in human flesh, sent to the cross so our sin could be completely forgiven. I'm so grateful that my family and I chose to trust Him as our Savior. Our eternity will be different because we did. Did you read that post? This morning, we're going to walk through the story that's recorded in Matthew's historical New Testament record, the first book of the New Testament, uh, from his eyewitness account of Jesus' life. So go with me. Come with me. Matthew 21, verse 1 says, Now when they drew near Jerusalem, that is Jesus and His disciples, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, in my preparation, I, I got mentally sidetracked already and I knew it was trouble for you guys, okay? But olives, olives, I love olives, black, green, Greek, how, how many olive lovers? Come on, come on. yeah, nice, I, that's good, anyway. Um, but I imagine it kind of like the Okanagan. Don't you love going to Okanagan? Every orchard has a little fruit stand. Oh, it's so great. I've never had the experience. I'm imagining that the olive grove owner had an olive stand and sold all his olives. I'm not sure, but I just my mind went down that path and how awesome that would be. Love olives. Anyway, continuing. Verse 1, squirrel. Uh, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village. Now, again, this is just before, a little ways before, somewhere before they got to Jerusalem. Go, to, go into the village, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Really? Jesus, could, could, could we end up in the slammer for this? Just, just 
grab those guys' donkeys. I mean, what, 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 what if someone says, you know, what are you doing stealing my donkeys? Well, Jesus says, yeah, something that, that, that could happen, but just, just tell them the Lord needs them, and, and it'll all be fine. The owner, the owner will let you take them. All right, so they go, trusting Jesus' directions. It appears that God somehow made the donkey owner aware that there was a bigger story being written here and that he got to be a part of it. I'm sure that the owner of the donkey would have posted this on Instagram. We're really social media heavy this morning from me. Well, in those, those that you know. So, is the, is the slide there? Donkey rentals, promo code, everything. Wow. Don't you think? Like these guys are taking his donkey and Jesus needs it. It's it's. Maybe not at the time, but later he's got to realize this, was, this is big news. Jesus rode my donkey. It's pretty cool. I want to mention briefly here that there are, as I did already, four Gospels. Four Gospel accounts, each, again, named after the first century authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of them are eyewitness accounts. And Luke, being a detail person, he's a physician, actually, and a historian, and he collects and researches the accuracy of the information that he receives from those who were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, and then he records it. So, Matthew, uh, Mark, Luke, and, and then John. These, these first four books of the New Testament, again, are historically reliable records of Jesus' life. And I also want to mention that there are a few minor differences in some of the small, inconsequential details of these narratives. And I want to mention that rather than that fact kind of, uh, you know, being used to, to, to prove that they are not reliable records, it actually proves, historians tell us, it actually proves that they are trustworthy accounts, historically reliable documents with, with these little differences. And I mention that because some use that as their arguing point to say, well, you can't trust the Bible. I mean, think of it in the court of law, and many of you have, have read and studied on this, but in a court of law, if you have four eyewitnesses to a big event or to, you know, some complicated crime scene or, or a big accident, let's say, and all four uh, witnesses give testimony that is precisely the same to, down to every little detail being exactly the same, what would the judge say? What's going on with you guys? You, you've obviously corroborated your stories. You, you got together ahead of time, and you made sure that your stories just lined right up. What, what's up with that? And their eyewitness account becomes less credible, right, in the court of law. Well, the point is 
that different people viewing the same event will notice different things. Some elements may be mentioned by person A, but not by person B. And just because person B doesn't mention a specific aspect that person A describes, and maybe even describes in some detail, does not mean it was not part of the event or the situation. So, just, just a, a sidebar thought there that I think is important. Keep, keep that in mind when you hear... Maybe in your interactions with people, some might say, you know, refer to all of the contradictions in, in the gospel record. Well, you may want to just respectfully ask them what contradictions they're referring to as well, and a good chance they, they may not be able to name any, but even if they are, many of them fall into this, uh, this category for sure. So, regarding what's written about the donkey in line with what I just said. There, there are slight differences between the gospel writers. Matthew writes that it was a donkey and a colt. In the gospel of John, he writes that, the, that Jesus, he just says, Jesus found a donkey. He, he doesn't care, apparently, that the disciples brought the animal to him, nor does he have to mention it for, it to be, um, for, for him to be accurate in his, in his writing, right? And then Mark and, Mark and Luke only refer to the colt, um, Maybe because they're just so focused on the fact that Jesus didn't get bucked off. It was, it was an unbroken animal. And they both refer to the colt by saying this, Matthew, or Mark and Luke do. They say, on which no one has ever rode, by the way, or, or, or on which no one has ever sat. Not for long, anyway. I don't know, maybe they both got bucked off as kids at the Jerusalem rodeo, so that, you know, they thought that was noteworthy. I, I don't know. I have a little window into this, though, uh, into this donkey riding thing. For eight years, I played the role of Jesus in uh, a big Easter presentation at uh, my previous church. And, and every year, over those years, what was it, four or five times, I can't recall exactly, each year, I rode that many times down the and, and rehearsals down the aisle and across the stage of that church auditorium. And only once, only once, did I ever get a slight indication that the donkey was thinking of tossing me? Never happened, fortunately. But I, I, I did think at times during the presentation, I'm going across this, you know, in my white side saddle kind of thing, whatever, you know. But uh, uh, what, what would happen if in the middle of the Easter presentation, Jesus got bucked off? I mean, it just would not look very good. But anyway, thank the Lord it didn't happen. But but I would never have attempted to get on the back of a colt, an unbroken donkey. I wouldn't have lasted two, two seconds before being launched into the air. But no problem for Jesus. Why? He's the creator. He created that animal. He's in charge. He's in control. He's God. And so he rides the colt. Can't tell you any more about why. He just did and maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point. So, Matthew 21, verses 4 and 5 tells us, continuing on, that this incident of King Jesus um, in humility riding a donkey colt, this was prophesied, this was foretold hundreds of years before in a book called Zechariah, which is an Old Testament, one of what's called one of the minor prophets. Shorter book, prophet just simply means uh, spokesperson for God. 
And God spoke to his people, Israel, at that time through these individuals. And Zechariah was one of them. And he foretold by God's wisdom and direction um, that there would come a day when Jesus would ride to Jerusalem for the purpose for which he was going on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. Moving on, verse 6 and 7, Matthew 21 tells us, that the two disciples, they follow through with this donkey retrieval mission that Jesus sent them on. They, and, and they lay their clothes on the back of the colt and they continue on to Jerusalem with Jesus, uh, I want to say relaxing comfortably on the back of a young dog. I'm not sure if that was actually the case, but he rode in to Jerusalem that way. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday came to be known as what? His triumphal entry. Really? Triumphal entry on the back of a donkey. How, how does something get titled a triumphal entry when you're riding a donkey colt? Hmm. No secret service. No sniper up on the roof. I mean, where's the white stallion? That's triumphant, right? Huh. Triumphal entry. Conquerors, kings, do, do not come into cities on donkeys. Who was the guy that did the elephant thing? Hannibal, the conqueror. That's triumphant. But a donkey? Yet it's called Jesus triumphal entry into the city. You know where I'm going with this, many of you, but let me explain if this is kind of new information for you. And again, if it is, way to go for being here. It's because triumphal entry is the tag to this story because the, the writers, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John again, knew that Jesus, in fact, was triumphant because of his resurrection from the dead. And you got to keep reading, and we're going to hear more about that. Each of them record the fact of his resurrection. They knew that Jesus was completely triumphant over the worst of enemies that we sang about this morning over sin and over death, which is eternal separation from God our Creator. What Jesus did on the cross destroyed sin and its terrible result. And that result is eternal separation from God if left unaddressed. It's terrible. Through His resurrection... From the dead, Jesus proved his power over sin and death. And through his re resurrection, he was absolutely triumphant. So, it's okay. It's even appropriate to call the scene, the event of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey his triumphal entry. And that's all the thunder I'm going to steal from Pastor Joel's Easter Sunday message next week. Encourage you to be here. And then verse 8 says that the, the people uh, spread their clothes on the road. 
wasn't an inappropriate scene. Don't go crazy on me here. But they had, they had outer, outer coverings that they wore over their indoor clothing. And they, they laid those on the road in front of Jesus. It was a sign of honor given to Jesus, actually, in that culture at that time. And they, again, waved branches. That was a recognition of his kingship. Uh, the common people there that day were welcoming him as king and deliverer. I wonder what was going on in the mind of Jesus as he approached. Jerusalem, with, with so many people, um, you know, shouting praise and, and, and words of, of affirmation, adoration toward Him. I mean, most people would love that, <laughs> right? We'd, 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 we'd quite likely, any of us, we'd have a tough time probably not getting stuck there. And that just may feel, that, that applause, that adoration, just may feel a little too good to walk past too quickly. So, an appropriate application question for you, for me, for, uh, for us. Are you living for applause? Think about that. In, in, in any area of your life, are you striving for? Are you looking for? Are you longing for? Are you living for the applause of people? People in our culture can so easily, I, I feel, be, be driven by recognition and applause. And, and, and come on, not just people in our culture out there. <laughs> Let's be honest. We can be driven, any one of us can be driven by the need for recognition and applause. Loving the applause or craving the admiration of others, my friends, can cause us, can't it, to lose our focus and even possibly to lose our spiritual way. Even on what may have originally been a, a laudable intent, Erwin McManus puts it this way simply. He says, we can lose our cause because of the applause. It's true. And maybe that's something that resonates with you this morning in some way. Open your heart to, to God to speak into that and to guide you in what His response would, would be in light of, of that type of reflection this morning based on, based on that question on the screen. If you, if you tend to be pulled in the direction of the crowd, remember that the admiration of the crowd, it's, it's temporary. It's fleeting. And in seeking the applause or approval of others, the danger is that we might accept a lesser definition of who we are because, because a definition that others give us seems to give us the acceptance that we long for. So then we can easily miss. We can easily miss out on who it is that God wants us to be or who, uh, who, who it is that God says we are as a forgiven and an eternally accepted child of His, gifted by Him to make a difference in people's lives in our world. That's, I mean, that's significant stuff. We don't, as Christ followers, and many of you who, who may not be Christ followers, you're thinking about this, go, yeah, I, I want significance like that. 
But significance like that is only found in a full surrender of everything I am and can be to the one who created me. That's where it starts. Yeah, significant stuff. Moving on, verse 10, Matthew 21. We see the people in Jerusalem captivated by Jesus, and they, they asked a very important question. Who is this? There's probably a lot of answers, a lot of responses, but the question, who is this? Well, according to verse 11, many of them at least identified him as a, as a prophet. He, he was that, but, but he was far more. He was far more. He was God in human flesh. And if you don't believe that Jesus himself uh, claimed to be God, existent from eternity past, creator of everything, if you don't think that Jesus himself claimed deity or claimed to be God himself, please read John 8, particularly the last paragraph of John 8. And, and, And then... I'd love to chat with you about that. Okay? John chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Fourth book of the New Testament. You see, Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. A problem that we could do absolutely nothing about ourselves. And yet sin requires what? The reference word was in one of the songs we sang. Lamb, capital L. Based on the Old Testament idea of how uh, sin was, was, was just covered by a perfect, spotless, sacrificed lamb. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of nasty to think about, but that's what it was. It was the system of dealing with people's sin, bloodshed. Yeah, sin's that bad. It requires death. So there's this Old Testament system of the lamb. Well, that's why Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as the lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice lamb. In other words, our sin was so bad, it requires a perfect sacrifice. And only who? God. Only God is perfect. And so He's the one who could step in. He's the only one who could step in and take the punishment for my sin and your sin and rescue us eternally. He's the only one who could do it. Well, how is that going to work? Huh? Jesus. God in human flesh. 100% man, struggled, challenged, physically tired, experiencing pain, emotionally and physically, but no sin. No sin. Ah, that makes him the one, the only one who can step in and take upon himself the penalty for sin that, that belonged to me, belonged to you. But he's perfect, so he can do that. Jesus knew exactly what was coming. When he went into Jerusalem that that day, he knew exactly what was coming. As a matter of fact, he told his disciples uh, at least a couple of times and maybe more, he he, he wanted to prepare them. In Matthew 20, he told them, we're going to Jerusalem, and uh, guys, I'm going to be mocked, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified, but stay with me. Hang on. Three days later, I am not going to say it in a German accent, but I'll be back, is what he said. I will rise from the dead. And he did. So Jesus, Jesus was well aware that the applause would soon turn to torment and darkness and death. He, he knew that he had to walk through the adoring crowd to get to the place where he would, he would be completely alone. 
And he, where he would lay down his life for that, for that crowd, for that applauding crowd, and for you and I, and he was willing to do it. He made the choice. Jesus made the choice not to get caught up in, in the applause and thus miss the purpose for which he came to earth. He was willing to move from applause to sacrifice because he knew what it would mean eternally for you and for me that, that, that we could then be with him forever in heaven. And that's the only way that that would be possible for you and I. I mean, I mean think about it. Think about this. If the story had ended with the triumphal en entry, well, <laughs> by virtue of what I said before and what the Bible says, it, it would have been called probably something different. It wouldn't be triumphal entry, but you know what I'm saying. If the story would have ended here, we, if it ended with Palm Sunday, we, we'd be lost forever. We'd be eternally separated from our Creator. But fortunately for us, Jesus pushed past the applause, walked past the applause to sacrifice, even though on the cross, Jesus was not being celebrated anymore. He was no longer the object of adoration. He died alone. He even cried out, my God, he cried to his Father, God, why have you forsaken me? And yet he knew that he would rise from the dead, proving his power to change the hearts and lives of broken people and, and, and bring them into His eternal family as they trust in Him, as so many of you have chosen to do. And you're in that eternal family by God's grace. And my friends, He offers, God does through Jesus. He offers His grace and His forgiveness to you if you'll accept those gifts by trusting Him. I mean, think about it. You've got the attention of the creator of the universe. That's the most important affirmation and love you'll ever receive. And today, my simple question for you is, would you, would you today open your heart and life to Jesus personally, understanding all that he's done for you? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, and you can put your name there, God so loved that he gave his only son that whoever believes in Him would not perish or would not, would, would not be eternally separated from God, but would have eternal life. What a powerful biblical verse that God has given us. And so if that's your desire and you want to open your life to Jesus this morning, I, I, I want you to pray this simple prayer. And it's not about these words. There's no formula. God knows your heart. God knows your genuine desire to, to, to come into relationship with Him. And you maybe don't even totally uh, understand what that, what, what that means. But this morning, you, you cannot deny that He loves you so much that He gave His life for you. And so you're just saying, I, I want to receive Christ into my life. I want to trust Him. I want, to, I want Him to be the forgiver of my sin, to bring me into relationship eternally and personally with the God who created me. I want that. And if that's kind of resonating in your heart this morning, I, I want to pray. I'll pray out loud this simple prayer, and you can pray in your heart. And so, uh, Christians, I'm just going to ask you to, to pray for those who might be in decision-making mode among us this morning. Powerful and significant moments. These are life-changing and eternity-changing moments. And so I'm going to ask everybody, if, if you would, just out of respect, to, to bow your heads and to, to close your eyes. And again, if this is for you and you want to reach out to God for His grace today by Jesus Christ's gift for you of His life, you could just say, Jesus, I give you my life in this moment. I ask you to forgive my sin. I, I want to turn from my old way of living 
to live the way you want me to live in relationship with you, my creator. And I receive your gift of eternal life now that you offer me. I, I want to I live free. And so in this moment, I ask you to be the forgiver of my sin and the leader of my life from this day forward. I pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.